This is Jim McGough with a special episode of the Jim McGough Podcast featuring an interview with Paul Grand, who is the founder and CEO of the MedTech Innovator Program. I was able to catch up with Paul in November of 2019 and discuss how he got involved in innovation, what was his why for starting MedTech Innovator, the importance of the right ecosystem to support each startup, as well as trends in health tech investing and regional differences in health tech innovation around the world. Since Edgewell Medical, the company I co-founded with my wife, Lily Zachariah, is a long-standing partner of the MedTech Innovator Program, I felt compelled to share Paul's story and his insights, as he's a great example of someone who is making a difference. Here's the interview. Good morning, everybody. This is Jim McGough, and I'm have the pleasure to be with Paul Grand, the CEO of MedTech Innovator, here actually at the MedTech Innovator Global Headquarters in Westwood, California. So, uh, Paul, just uh, wanted to say thanks again for taking a few minutes this morning to share some of your thoughts on MedTech Innovator and innovation in general. Great. Thanks for having me here, Jim. So, for those uh, who are not familiar with MedTech Innovator, uh, MedTech Innovator, in my opinion, is it's the world's largest and most reputable global MedTech innovation ecosystem. It's a competition. There's an accelerator. Uh, Paul's been the driving force behind this for many, many years. Uh, and being a partner in the MedTech Innovator program, you know, I, I know that a lot of people are curious to learn more about MedTech Innovator and, and Paul Grand and, and all the things that he, you know, you've had the opportunity to learn uh, and see over the last uh, many years of this program. So with that, uh, just want to open up and see if, you know, in terms of you know, how you got here, um, just tell us a bit about like what were some of the experiences or, or you know, life experiences that you had that helped shape you to, to be uh, in a position to, to do what you're doing now with MedTech Innovator. Sure. Uh, happy to talk um, always about uh, how I got here. Uh, so I'll start off with maybe a brief you know, background of myself uh, that not everyone would know, and that's that uh, from the time that I was 12, I was a computer programmer um, and continue to do so today. And that really shaped me a lot, I think, you know, growing up as someone who was a big part of kind of the you know, the tech revolution in the early days as a kid, and then uh, after, uh, after college, some of my first jobs were in the tech industry, and uh, I really appreciated this incredible revolution that was, you know, sweeping the world uh, with, with tech and, and seeing the opportunity for, you know, for myself and for others who really didn't have any particular expertise, let's say, in a, in a space, but had a passion and excitement about changing things could go in and really disrupt things um, and make a huge change. And, and so I, you know, I think I've always been shaped by technology, probably, and, and even through today in med tech for me, it's just tech. Um, it's just med tech. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think the thing that I had to learn along the way, obviously, was the the nuances of the you know the healthcare system, regulatory, and. Um, reimbursement and things like that, but ultimately, and still, I'm just still really excited about technology. So the thing that gets me excited is about the you know the ability for technology to make a you know um, a massive change 
on the world around us and uh, and hopefully for the the good of, of you know all of us and in the case of in case of healthcare hopefully you know making us all live longer and healthier and uh, where I am today with MedTech Innovator but that entrepreneurial part of things is one of the things that really shapes why I do what I do today and uh, in my experience you know having started a lot of companies and seen how difficult it is to be an entrepreneur and how you know for any entrepreneur your success is really driven by not only you know luck and other things that come into play but also by the people you surround yourself with and the people who are part of your ecosystem who are whether they're mentors or it could be investors who are mentors and um, and just other relationships but that that network that ecosystem around you is really everything and you know I found as a as a guy who was here in Los Angeles starting internet companies before most people knew what the web was or you know or anything happy with the internet the thing that we had as a big disadvantage was that we didn't have a educated investor community who really understood tech and certainly not the kind of tech that we were involved in here in Los Angeles and that was you know up in the Bay Area but that's a that's a world apart from LA and we struggled in many ways uh, with things that had we been in Silicon Valley would have been easy for us whether it was recruiting you know the type of team members that we wanted whether it was um, having investors who were really sophisticated that could help us uh, you know I mean some of my early investors were people like the Rams Football Corporation you know there were people who just you know were, were great investors but you know that certainly weren't sophisticated Silicon Valley kinds of investors who had the networks and ecosystem to help us uh, and I only encountered those kinds of people after a, um, a somewhat failed attempt to do a public offering in 1996 and we had the first internet crash dot com, you know, crash of, uh, you know, economically um, where we had been preparing to do an IPO in one of my companies, a company called NetCount. And um, right around the time uh, we were in that process, we got a call from our bankers saying, um, oh, Wired pulled their IPO. And I said, oh, that's... That's too bad. And they said, no, you don't understand. If Wired's pulling their IPO, no one's going to go public. You know, you have to go raise money another way. And that was the very first time they took us on a road show up to the Bay Area, and I started meeting all the people on Sand Hill Road and realizing how much of a disadvantage we've been at this whole time, that here were all these people that I was talking to who, who had great, incredible insights into not only my business, but the challenges that were going to be ahead of us um, as, they were, as we were going through kind of due diligence. And I suddenly realized that I really, you know, this whole time had been kind of in this, um, you know, echo chamber, whatever you want to call it, you know, where we're just talking to people around us um, and not the bigger, the bigger picture. Um, and so as an entrepreneur, um, I then kind of went on to realize that, you know, how important it was to have an amazing ecosystem around you of support and how not to kind of get, you know, it's so easy to get stuck you know, with your head down and you're working on, you know, the challenges that are in front of you um, and not reach out beyond that. And I think that's, you know, that's one of the things that really kills most startups in general is that they never kind of get out of that. So anyway, so my, as, as an entrepreneur, having been an entrepreneur, having raised money, having had to, you know, downsize. I had one company where you had 150 people and next thing you knew, um, after the dot-com crash in 2000, the second one, I had a company called Ad Exchange. And, you know, right as we were launching was in June 2000 is right when it, the whole, you know, economy blew up. And uh, once again, went from, you know, having 100-something people working for me um, to downsizing to a dozen or so people 
and going through that and you know watching banks call on loans, Silicon Valley Bank, people like that, you know, watching that affect everybody and watching companies shut down. Um, you know, I've been through that and seen, you know, seen kind of the both the good and the bad and what entrepreneurs go through. And so my, you know, the thing that kind of is shaping me and why I'm doing what I'm doing and in addition to helping, you know, patients and people is is wanting to help entrepreneurs. Um, and, and as a venture capitalist, the thing that would make me crazy was that I could only say yes to like two companies a year. I was a venture capitalist, as mm -hmm. you know, Jim, for, mm -hmm. uh, for almost 12 years. And I loved helping people and listening to them and meeting them, meeting some of the smartest people, you know, there is. I could go, as you know, you know, if you're an investor, as you are, um, and you have money, people want to meet with you. And I could meet with anybody as an investor. It doesn't matter who the most brilliant academic, you know, academics, scientists, inventors, you know, as soon as they heard that we had money to invest, they wanted to meet. And it was really kind of like a kid in a candy store. I could just go meet with people. And in that experience, um, I realized that um, being in that position and, you know, meeting with all these people and saying, oh, you know, you're, you know, you should meet Jim McGough. You know, he could help you and he could, you know, that's a good person you should know. Um, you know, I do that kind of thing with people, but we could only actually invest in maybe two or three companies a year. Um, and that's very frustrating when you're looking at a thousand companies in a year and you know that there's lots of ones that you want to help or be involved with. Uh, and so a lot of what, you know, as I think you know, you know, that drives us in general at MedTech and just trying to help, you know, the really promising companies. And we'll talk more about that, I'm sure. Sure, sure. Just on this theme that you're talking about, there's been some sentiment that, I mean, like the tech investors are, have been coming into health tech for the last you know, five years, and maybe there was an unrealistic expectation on how quickly hospital systems could you know, take in this new technology, new workflows, and, 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 and so some casualties were the early founding CEOs that maybe were led to, hey, you have to hit this milestone by such and such a date. Do you see, I mean, because you're, you're going all over the country, all over the world, do you see like a normalization, or, or is that certainly in pockets where uh, you know, the tech inv the investors or that were formerly in tech are starting to understand the slowness uh, and, and then also the entrepreneurs, the clinicians, the scientists have an understanding of what the investors are really going to expect. What, what, what do you see in, in that space? Well, I mean, you, you know, what you said is so right on in that, you know, you've got this new wave of investors. Uh, the investors, when I was a venture capitalist, there were the brand name venture capital firms that were out there. Um, and whether it was, you know, a Kleiner Perkins um, or, uh, or DeNovo Ventures and, and so on, there's all these, these firms that were, were terrific um, that were like the brand names. Um, and, uh, and then over time, a lot of these people have gone away. They've moved on, as you know, to later stages or they've gotten out of healthcare entirely and certain out of med tech. Um, so um, there's a new wave of investors who are knowledgeable in their spaces, so if it's tech, you know, straight tech investors, you know, they might know a lot about, you know, about scaling quickly um, or hiring great teams and motivating teams and keeping people, um, you know, compensated well. And, um, you know, they've got all sorts of interesting skill sets there. Um, but when it comes to healthcare, they don't know anything about bringing products to market. Um, and they're learning as they go on, you know, of course, like anything, you learn over time. But they don't, they really don't know what they don't know in most cases. And so as a result, you know, they give advice that um, can actually steer these companies in the wrong direction, you know, it's with good intentions, but 
you know, they'll tell people to iterate quickly and do all these things that you can do when you have, you know, uh, an Instagram kind of app, but you can't necessarily do in healthcare. Um, when you need predictability and you need long-term data and you need data that can be used to convince people to adopt a product, you know, three years from now, you need to be collecting that data three, four, or seven years in advance. Um, you know, that's things that they just don't see and they don't, you know, they don't have that kind of pattern recognition and ability that, you know, the, the venture capitalists who've done it so many times can. So, um, so as a result, the real challenge, I believe, is that startups are getting capital from people who are not equipped to give them the proper guidance to bring their products to market. And, uh, and so they push them in the wrong direction or they give them, you know, you mentioned, you know, getting a pilot at a hospital and, you know, people say, oh, yeah, you got to go get this pilot and it's going to, you know, that'll, you know, get that, that marquee customer and that'll really be, you know, a huge boost for you. And the problem is these startups, you know, they're small companies and they wind up putting all their resources sometimes, as you know, into servicing that pilot and the pilot you know, there was someone who joked, um, you know, a while ago about uh, one of the one of the hospital systems, and they said, you know, they had more pilots than uh, United Airlines, <laughs> and uh, and that's always, you know, that's the reality is that most of those pilots aren't converting into contracts, and they certainly aren't enough to sustain that company. And so, if that startup puts all their eggs into that basket, um, they often fail. Um, for the reason that the, you know whether the pilot didn't deliver, you know, the expected outcomes. Um, whether the contract that came up as a result, you know, wasn't one that was sufficiently revenue generating, um, or you know, they didn't they didn't meet the endpoint and they didn't get any kind of agreement, whatever it was, um, those you know you can literally have death by pilot, um, and it's a really it's a really scary thing. And so, you know, I think the the thing that a lot of tech investors and other people early on in the space did was drive people to do these pilots, pilot, 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 um, and you know, and it sounded great, you know, but they haven't always worked out. So I think that's, to me, that's you know, one of the things that I think is, continues to be a huge challenge. And it's not the blame of any particular investor or anything, it's just the environment we're in. And, uh, and I think the startups in general are limited by the, you know, the sophistication of the people who are investing in them um, and who are you know, on a broader basis in their ecosystem, but especially as an investor, you know, those are people you have to listen to. Um, you know, you're hoping, you know, you got to keep them happy and hopefully maybe they'll give you more money when you need it, um, especially when you run out of it, which everyone does um, one way or another. And so, uh, you know, unfortunately, if you're trying to please somebody who really doesn't know what the next milestone really is going to be for your company um, and what it's going to take to get there, um, they, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of, you know, you're just chasing the uh, the wrong mission in most cases, or the wrong agenda, and you know, and as a result, um, you know, there's a massive problem worldwide for um, for the you know kind of med tech and health tech ecosystem. I think in general. Would you say it's interesting? Would you say I've heard people say that you know, some ecosystems and regionally, and you know, you can say Bay Area or Boston or that. Uh, some of the entrepreneurs, there's more of uh, an entrepreneurial ecosystem where the CEO, the founding CEO, can get the funding from some investors who are experienced, have maybe worked with that founding CEO before, and they're more willing for a couple pivots to happen over the course of 12, 24, 36 months, whereas in other parts of the world, it's you know relatively 
uh, novice investors in health tech and sometimes a first time founding CEO and there's less work with me, trust me, and, and because of that they don't get that you know, extra bridge financing that may be in the other scenario where they're they have the trust already built. Have you seen that? Is that a, is that a theme that you've seen on your travels? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you're right in that the this the trusted relationship um, where someone goes back two, three times as a serial entrepreneur to the same investors and they back them, you know, blindly in many cases um, because they know, you know, the investors know that this is a a person that has performed for them before and that they can trust and they're, they're open with communication, whatever it might be. Um, they've made money with them. Sometimes they've lost money, but they still, they still know that person and they, they're a known commodity and they want to work with them again. Um, you know, those, those days have pretty much gone, I think. Um, I think that environment was, you know, was very consistent um, years ago. And there's not, I'm not saying it doesn't happen now, but it's definitely more the one-offs uh, today. Uh, I find, you know, as you've seen in MedTech Innovator, we have people who come in and pitch us who maybe when we first started doing this like seven years ago, um, I was shocked that they were coming to us and applying to MedTech Innovator because I thought, oh, this is a serial entrepreneur. They've done this four times. Why do they need a, an accelerator? Why do they need this kind of visibility? They could just go back into, you know, the same investors. But, you know, those investors are gone in most cases. Um, and and they're they're out there navigating like anybody else, and you know going from round to round. I mean, they're maybe all in all cases as a CEO, you're always raising money. They say, um, and even if you're not really raising money at the moment, you're really preparing for your next round kind of all the time. Um, and and so I think it's become extreme uh, in that case for you know in the case of healthcare today that CEOs are constantly looking forward to that next round and where the money's going to come from because the, uh, as I said, those investors who you mentioned before, the ones who were kind of the trusted ones um, that you work with over and over again, just generally aren't there. Um, and it's building up. I mean, we're starting to see some of that build now again. It's all cyclical and we'll have a whole bunch of sophisticated investors eventually. Uh, but for right now, we don't really have that. And so um, as a result, I think um, a lot of the uh, investors that are out there who are investing in healthcare, med tech, you know, health tech in general, um, are not equipped, even in Silicon Valley, to give the kind of advice that we need. So, you know, I'm not seeing, I mean, I'm seeing what you said. I'm seeing that it doesn't matter what ecosystem you're talking about, it's always the same thing now. I mean, med tech innovator is, as you said, global, and we are. We are all over the world. Um, we do a ton of work all throughout the U.S., Europe, um, and uh, increasingly Asia as well. And in every ecosystem, I always, you know, I, I, I try not to smile when I hear him say it, but um, inside I'm smiling when I'll, I'll meet with somebody and they'll say, you know, um, you know, we've got great early stage grant support here from the local government, and, um, and we have some great early stage angel kind of investors and philanthropic investors. But, you know, we're not like Silicon Valley, you know, we can't, you know, it's, it's the A round that we struggle with or the B round that we struggle with. And I always, you know, look back at them and I say, Silicon Valley is struggling with the exact same thing. Um, and this is myth that Silicon Valley is the solution and they have all these things. Um, and I'm not saying that Silicon Valley isn't an amazing place. It is. It really is incredible. Um, and it is definitely an asset to be there. 
But uh, the startups in Silicon Valley are going to the same thing as the startups in Singapore, and the same, uh, same thing as the startups in Kansas, and the same thing as the startups in Chicago or anywhere else. Um, in that getting it, that venture gap, the valley of death is still a very real thing. Um, and you know, it's, I know the work that you do a lot, Jim, and you know, in your ecosystem is you know the same that you know we're trying to do, which is to help startups navigate uh, and find the right people who can help them uh, wherever they may be. And you know, and of course, you know, as you said, Silicon Valley, I mean, might have some better general resources around in general that you know you can walk down the street and maybe find someone who's done it before. Um, when it comes to investors and people who are so said the ones who, in many cases, you know, the CEOs are answering to and need to um, need to listen to. Um, you know, they're not necessarily better in Silicon Valley than they are anywhere else. Gotcha. So, so would you say then that based on that new kind of normal? Uh, I mean, what MedTech Innovator does is it allows promising MedTech health tech ventures from all over the world to access an ecosystem that's not just their local ecosystem, but is a global one. And I mean, I have my own opinion that there are some narrow networks, even in some very, you know, highly reputable, you know, a lot of capital, you know, metro areas of the US or, or you know, in, in Europe. Um, so is that, I mean, a certain kind of, you can further credentialize or de-risk your venture by accessing you know, the best people in the ecosystem for your particular, your venture. And it's just, is that something that's just more of a myth or is that actually happening? I know that's in a certain sense what MedTech Innovator is all about is people have access to the best, you know, folks if they're 5,000 miles away or five miles away. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, that's literally the, um, the way I, I always put it is that we're trying to bring the world's best ecosystem to any startup no matter where they are. Mm -hmm. And um, that's not an easy thing to do, but that's what we're doing. And uh, it's something that we, it's taken us seven years to build to where we are and that we're able to deliver on that. Uh, but that's, that's what it takes. And I know there are other models where people relocate companies and they say, oh, just move to our facility in Texas or move to our facility in Massachusetts or move to our facility in California, wherever it may be. Um, and, you know, and we'll plug you into an ecosystem there. Um, and I would argue that none of those ecosystems still has the ecosystem that we can offer. Um, if you're in California, you're getting the California ecosystem. Uh, if you're in Texas, you're getting the Texas ecosystem, in Massachusetts, and so on. Um, and you know, and it's great they have their own ecosystems, but they're still not the perfect ecosystem. And that's what we aspire to build: is the perfect ecosystem for each startup. And um, and it's not the same cookie cutter ecosystem for every startup. There's some that need a ton of work and need a lot of help in regulatory or or quality systems or you know you name it. Um, and they may not be able to find that locally, and you have to take them to the you know to the top tier providers uh, and make sure that they have access to those people no matter where they are. Um, and the same thing goes, by the way, for the um, you know the investors and the potential strategic partners. You know the acquirers for these companies. You have to have access to them as well. And in the local ecosystem model. The problem always, you know, where you're relocating startups to a local ecosystem, the problem is that um, there's only so much of that in that ecosystem, and so they're going to get exposed to who's there, not necessarily the right people for them, and they'll try, you know, they, I'm not saying they don't try, but ultimately they're limited by that, you know, whereas 
you know, we've built something that allows us, through a very curated model, to bring these startups, wherever they may be, let them stay where they are, let them keep working. It's very disruptive to relocate somebody. Um, that's one of my, you know, my core beliefs here is that, you know, it's one thing to move somebody and say, you know, you're going to go for two weeks somewhere. Um, and by the way, even that's disruptive. But at least it's, you know, time limited. But to, um, to make a team relocate and so you need to be somewhere for a long period of time is extremely disruptive to the work they're doing. Um, and I think it only works to me when you're talking about like ideation phase. If you're talking about people who are a couple of optimistic people who want to revolutionize diabetes, um, let's go set them up at the, you know, the premier, you know, one of the premier hospitals where, you know, that work is done, um, where the right investigators are so they can really deal with the problem and see what the issues are. Let them immerse there. Let them have access to you know the strategics in that space, whatever. Hopefully, you know, and, and they can learn about the problem and they come up with some solutions. And you know, that's great. But if you're talking about a company that's funded, you know, MedTech Innovator targets companies that are funded. Um, you know, the whole point here isn't to just help people with an idea. We want to find the people who've gotten the funding, who have the team, even if it's not the perfect team, but have a team, have hopefully some prototypes and some evidence, and they're on the right path. You know, they're one of the lucky ones that got funding. And we need to make sure that if we find that startup, no matter where it is, and we say they've got the right ingredients and they're solving a, you know, a real problem with a, a market that can actually pay for it and all the things that go into being successful, um, we don't want to let them fail. And so that's, you know, again, coming back to your, you know, your question, it's just this idea of bringing the best ecosystem you know, the right ecosystem to that startup. And, you know, if we can't do that, then I think we're failing. And I mean, I don't mean just MedTech Innovator, I mean as an industry. Um, I think we're failing because you let any of those startups fail. Uh, and we're taking a solution that really could have made a difference for all of us, you know, making a dent and, you know, bending the cost curve and all the things that we all want to do. Um, you're, you're taking that opportunity and you're just throwing it away. Uh, and we all have to be part of that solution. Absolutely. No, it's great that, that you can see it really happening. I mean, having been on the, on the road with you guys and seeing all the startups and how they're really benefiting. I mean, I'll use like a case like more like comparative, like Europe and North America, or obviously you just had a really successful program with the MedTech Innovator Asia uh, inaugural program. And maybe you can spend a moment or two just to kind of tell us like, you know, Europe and, and North America and, and, and obviously Asia, and if you see any kind of trends or areas uh, that, you know, need to be, uh, uh, well, I don't want to say improved or, or, but just want to get your thoughts because you're probably one of the few people that's seen kind of comparatively those regions in the last few years. Sure. Uh, that's really, you know, the global lens is really unique. And, you know, in some ways, you know, I think the thing that um, U.S. startups have is they've got it easy in some ways in that, you know, our healthcare system, while complicated, you know, is, you know, generally speaking, pretty consistent. I mean, obviously there's still fee-for-service and value-based care and those two models, you know, kind of coexisting is a little bit to deal with for startups and, you know, penetrating the right hospital systems and things. I mean, there's plenty of, there's plenty of challenges, but at least you can generally understand how the healthcare system here works. Um, and for some of the global startups, they're looking at their local ecosystems, which are, you know, their hospital, um, their payment model, all those things, you know, are radically different than ours in many cases, and, uh, or at least unique. And, and so having to navigate that um, 
and or looking at the U.S. as a place to go first, which most of them want to do, not all of them, but a lot of them want to do. Um, that's you know that's definitely you know it's hard because they're looking at you know maybe proving something locally in Berlin and then deploying in the U.S. and will that work? And will they run out of capital before they can do that in either market and all the other challenges? Um, and so really kind of you know navigating not just their local system but the U.S. system. And then of course um, there's also the changing you know payment models not just here but kind of around the world that people have to navigate. You know um, so for U.S. and Europe. Um, I think they generally have it um, at least pretty predictable, not so much easy, but it's reasonably predictable. Obviously, there's changes now in MDR and other things, but ultimately, you know, U.S. and Europe, there's, you know, people at least have a general sense of how that works. And then you go to Asia Pacific, and it's, it was very eye-opening for all of us in that, you know, the, you know, it's one thing to look at just China or just Japan or just India and so on, Malaysia, Indonesia, um, Singapore, and look at those things on an isolated basis and say, okay, you know, penetrating the market here locally, what's involved in each of those countries. But um, the startups in Asia Pacific, um, at least half of them, if not more, are looking at Asia Pacific as their first market. Um, and, you know, kind of broadly, you know, they want to reach that market. It's the largest population in the entire world. Um, and that's, you know, that's plenty. And, you know, as I said, a lot of them do want to enter the U.S. market, but not all of them do. In fact, most, you know, I'd say, depending on where we go, a lot of times people say, like, you know, they're just interested in China. They're just interested in Japan and so on. So, uh, so those, you know, navigating that, you know, as, you know, as you said before, like looking at a global lens and looking at startups and what their challenges are versus, um, you know, what kind of the DNA of a startup and the, the things that will cause them to fail along the way, you know, there's, you know, if there's 15 or 16 common themes for why people fail um, in healthcare, you'll, you know, there's, you know, five of those are unique to each country. And, um, you know, the other 10 maybe are common. You know, the 10, the common ones are the ones that I see and that, you know, as I said, I kind of look at and I, I know every time I see that, you know, it's the same problem, whether it's in Kansas or whether it's in Singapore. Um, but the other ones, the ones that are unique to their ecosystem, um, are, are major uh, things for them to be focusing on. And it takes an infrastructure that really knows all the nuances of that healthcare system, of, of uh, you know, the regulatory system to get the product approved, um, the access model for you know, getting into the, uh, you know, the, the payment and into the care providers and and into the pathway um, that they need to be in, and, and you know maybe to consumers in some cases. So you know it's different in every single one of those. And what we've recognized at MedTech Innovator is that for us to succeed there in helping you know in our mission and helping these startups and bringing their technologies to patients, we really need to understand all those markets. And so the eye-opening thing for us, Paul. Well, I had to find a perfect spot to stop our part one of our interview. And this was the appropriate spot. So all of you listeners, thanks so much for listening and hearing from Paul on all the insights and experience that, that the MedTech Innovator Program has uh, provided this global health tech ecosystem. If you like this podcast, please make a nice little comment on Apple or at Edge One Medical, and we will do a quick follow-up with part two and we'll keep you notified when that will be 
uh, live. Anyways, thanks again for listening. This is Jim McGough from the Jim McGough Podcast.